0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover with Jarrell Mason, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. With me on the podcast, I have a man that's been in the music industry for as long as I can remember. New Jack Swing, Hip Hop Soul, Future Studios, Basic Black, 911, the whole nine yards. We're going to get into his music career, production, songwriting, the importance of New Jack Swing, and everything else. Mr. Mucho Scott from Basic Black and 911. Mucho, welcome to Beyond the Album Cover, sir. Appreciate you having me, AJ. Not a problem. I appreciate you taking the time to do this interview. Okay, no problem. All right. glad so, to be here. Yes, sir. So let's just go ahead and hop right into it. Was music something you always wanted to do, or did you have other aspirations before the music book came in?
1: Yeah, I, I was. Uh, <laughs> I had a wrestling match going on between music and sports, so uh, I think uh, music took over around about the ninth grade. So yeah, it, it was it was either going to be uh, either music or sports.
0: Okay, so what was your sport or sports of choice?
1: Uh, probably basketball back in the day, but I had, uh, I had a, I had a love for baseball, okay. but, uh, but, all you know, uh, everybody was playing basketball back in the day and, and football, but I kind of had a love, for, uh, baseball, but, you know, being from a small city, uh, didn't too many black kids play baseball back, uh, back there.
0: Mm-hmm. And but, where uh, you
1: I, from? I probably wouldn't. Columbus, Georgia. So I, I probably would have chose uh, basketball.
0: Okay. And Columbus, Georgia. We know Columbus because uh believe there's a military base in Columbus, correct?
1: Uh, Fort Benning, yeah. Fort Benning.
0: Mm-hmm. And also yeah. Dallas Austin was from Columbus, correct?
1: Man, it, it's, it's a lot of people got ties to Columbus. Uh, Chili from TLC, Gene Griffin, uh, like you mentioned, Dallas Austin. Uh, Wayne Brady was born there. Uh, you got Andre three thousand. His dad was from down there. Johnny Gill, dad was down there from down there. So a lot of them had you know had ties to Columbus. There's a few more. Uh, uh, you know, when I remember, I mentioned them to you. Then you know, we had a few uh, sports stars. Uh, Sam Mitchell. Uh, he played for the uh the Pacers back in the day. You know, and he was a coach too, professional basketball coach. Uh, Brandon Buckner played pro football. So, yeah, uh, for that small town, man, we 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 put out some uh, major talent.
0: Now, being in Columbus, did you have a lot of the musical influences from the various people in and out of the military? And you're hearing the sounds of different regions by people coming in and out of Fort Benning.
1: Yeah, I think that's what uh, kept us afloat, uh, Fort Benning. But if it wasn't for Fort Bend man, we we probably would have been like way behind on a lot of stuff. And even back in the 80s, we were probably a year behind everybody else. Like uh, a new song would come out in the big cities and we probably got it at the mom and pop stores down there six months to a year later. So, it, you know, by the time we got it, it was it was old. But if it wasn't for Fort Bend, we probably would have been like two or three years behind.
0: Yeah, I understand completely because I'm from the south myself, North Carolina. So I know when you're okay. talking about everything coming about six to eight months late when New York it was out prior to, and you're thinking, oh, yeah. hey, we're all up yeah. on it, but it's like, man, this is old. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the only way yeah, you so get yeah. to hear, yeah, because the only way you got to hear the fresh stuff was if you had a relative up north and they were coming down, down that to town yeah. for the summer. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so we, uh, I, had, I had a brother in the Army, uh, my dad was in the Army, and then after then, you know, my mom and niece and stuff went in the Army, so, but before that, my brother would, like, uh, bring the new records home. Uh, one of our, like, cousins that was in the Army in Fort Bend, and they would travel and bring a new record home, and, like, y'all need to listen to this, and I'm like, wow, you know, you come to find out I was already out up top uh, about a year early.
0: Now, anybody else in your family musically inclined? Oh
1: uh, man, uh, most of the family. Uh, mom played piano. Uh, uh, all four brothers played guitar. And, you know, we played bass. All of us played bass, so we couldn't start no band because everybody wanted to play bass. Uh, nephews, I got uh, probably about four or five nephews that produce. You probably know one. I'm Jay Hot. He working with uh, Johnson Blackstreet Black Street now. He used to work with Teddy. So uh C. Scott nephew uh DK uh uh rapper producer so i and, you know you got uh, also got nephews that write uh uh Alva Drake so you'll be seeing that name pretty soon on 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 a few projects I'm working on
0: okay yeah definitely that and of course being from the south you know all about that good old traditional down south Barbershop quartet music, where you're doing the hand clapping and the, drawing the tambourine in. So, did that have any oh, yeah. influence on you in terms of vocals and production, that church sound? Uh, uh yeah. Because uh, back in the day, uh,
1: like in in in, well, Bronx only had the black music was played on the AM radio station, so they mixed the gospel in with the R and B and you know, the the. Uh, the soul and and other music that all that was mixed in on one station. It was on the AM station, uh, uh, WOKS in Columbus. I still remember it when I was a little kid. And um, uh, you know, and on the FM station, the Clear station, there, were, you know, it, it was a lot of pop music going on. So, but all the black music was playing on the AM radio, kind of muddy. So, yeah, we got uh, we got a lot of that soul and that dirt from the from the south
0: from the AM station down there yeah if you're from the south especially rural, you're gonna hear a lot of am gospel and then if you're lucky you may catch an r&b station on the fm but while i lived in north carolina we were close to the virginia border so we got to hear radio mm-hmm. stations out of petersburg richmond and then if you're lucky you'll catch stations out of raleigh durham area
1: yeah all our all was all out music was, was on one station back in the day so in the morning, it was gospel, then like after
0: 12 and, and, and later, we, we heard R&B and, you know, and,
1: and the Deep Root music, all that stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. So when hip-hop first came in, what was your first reaction knowing that this genre is for us and it's not our parents' music? Uh Hip-hop...
1: uh Came when when hip hop came and, and my parents said turn that racket down. it Did then I knew it was for us but they said it was noise. You know y'all need to be listening to some Al Green or something like that. That we like no mom this is what's going on right now. They was and like turn that noise down so that that's what I figured out it was you know hip hop was uh was for us for the young generation mm-hmm. you know back then.
0: Yeah, so did any of the early Atlanta hip-hop make its way to Columbus, like Raheem the Dream, Kilo Ali, Mojo, and those King Edward J mixtapes? Yeah, I think when uh, when uh, Raheem came out, um,
1: Raheem came out, I think we was in Atlanta. Uh, no, we were still in Columbus, back and forth. So, yeah, uh, it, it, it it was uh, in rotation in Columbus at the time. By the 80s, we, we was pretty much hearing the new stuff.
0: Mm. And then 1987 hits, New Jack Swing It's the combination of the hard beats of rap and the smooth melodies of R&B and Teddy Riley meshed the two together. Because prior to R&B was on one side of the room and hip hop was on the other side of the room. And when yeah. Key Sweat, Make It Last Forever, Guy's debut album came out, they did this. So what was your reaction yes. hearing like? Oh man, this is slick R and B, but it has the aggressive hip hop beat style. Love.
1: That, that was my reaction right there. Oh man, <laughs> like wow, this new sound is crazy. And we, and we uh, we would we would ride to that all day, man. We we would listen to either the New Jack Swing sound or the, or the Minneapolis sound. So just two sounds uh, that we've listened to. Uh, for is R and B. Uh, you know hip hop we 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 mixed it up but uh, when new jack swing came out man it, it was new jack swing probably 75% of the time and and the minneapolis sound was uh 25% so but it yeah it 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 it, it was it was overwhelming when it came out
0: yeah, it's crazy to think how prior to 86, 87, R&B was plush, adult, Anita Baker, Banjoz, <laughs> Freddie Jackson, and then when New Jack Swing came out, it totally changed the R&B game forever. Now, how did Basic Black form?
1: To Black form uh, in Columbus, Georgia. We was a local band in Columbus, Georgia. And we was playing, um, we was playing the local clubs and backing talent shows and stuff like that. So we actually uh, formed in, uh, in Columbus, Georgia. We used to get together at, uh, at the Keyboard Player House, Specternal, and uh, you know, practice over there in the bedroom. Keyboard, uh, trap set, just you know, the drummer had the kick, snare, and hi hat. You know, <laughs> just squeeze it in. We had a bass and little amp. Guitar player had his, had his little amp, and spec had his keys and his little amp. And the lead singer had a mic. We was out in the bedroom, rehearsing.
0: So it's pretty much do it yourself. You had your homemade setup, and were you guys using like a closet for a vocal booth?
1: No, nah, we was just we were doing uh, cover tunes at, at, in Columbus. So we weren't recording until we actually got into his uh the Buckwiser uh. Battle of the Bands Contest back in the day. So we were just, you know, rehearsing for cover, you know, to play at clubs. We, we would perform, uh, you know, cover songs that were out back in the 80s, Mac Band, uh, 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 laver you know, popular bands back in the day. we do some Prince songs, The, the Deal and Baby Phase and, you know, stuff like that, Atlantic Star. Anything that was top 40 R&B back in the day, we were learning and, and performing at the clubs on the weekend.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, getting your deal, were there any other labels in the bidding before you guys signed your deal? Uh, no, not really. because We uh, we went from, um,
1: like I said, when we were basically black, we used to back up talent shows. And the promoter one year didn't have enough money to pay us. And he said, "You know, if y'all back this talent show and let us let me pay you what what I got right now, I promised to let y'all open up for Guy, you know. And uh, today had came down and a raw bass. So we were like, okay, yeah, cool. So we do we did the talent show for a little bit of nothing, just to get that opening spot for uh, you know, Guy and the concert that came off. So once we did that show, you know, Gene saw us. Everybody was backstage." But when we started playing, you know, everybody came out to the side of the stage and they were like, wow, like, man, we never heard a band that actually played the songs that sound like the record. That was Gene and Teddy Tola." So like, man, y'all sound just like the record. You know, today ain't got no band. So when we get home, we may want y'all to come up and audition for today. And we were like, cool. So that's how that came about with, uh, with Gene Griffin. And uh, you know we uh, we 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 followed to, got to above about three or four more cities three or four more cities, and uh, so finally we drove up to New York and got to New York. It was on the weekend, and and Gene had called to Columbus looking for us, but we was already up in New York. And uh, spec we called home and spec talked to his mom, and she said she said uh, the guy from New York called down and looking for y'all. Gene Griffin, we were like, wow. We were like, well, again, we were like, giving this number at the payphone, we up in New York. So he called us at the payphone. They, you know, put us uh, up at the hotel till that next Monday morning. And then we met with him and uh, man, from there, we went to the hotel, to the rehearsal hall, and then, you know, to the studio.
0: Right, and you mentioned the late Mr. Gene Griffin, GR Productions, Teddy Riley, today Zan, Redhead, Kingpin. I mean, on fire at this point. So, what was it like once you guys Rex in Effect, Rex in effect that whole crew, just knowing, like, man, we're about to be alongside what's hot. Yeah, couldn't believe it. it was unbelievable, man. Coming from
1: Columbus to New York City, it was it was like going from uh. From Earth to Mars. It was like a total different world for us. So we we sitting in the office and everybody coming in with the jewelry on. You know, we saw Rex of the Fact, we saw A Plus we're looking at everybody like this man, eyes wide open. Then you know, uh guy came in and it was like, you know, speechless. So redhead Kingpin, you know, big Bob and today, you know, so everybody coming to the office at uh you know, everybody had a set time to come in and meet with with Gene. So, man, we were just in there in, in, in awe. We couldn't believe it.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you guys going to the studio to make the debut album. What was that process like? In knowing that, hey, we want to add our own flavor and sound to what's already going on with New Jack Swing. What Teddy and Gene got going.
1: Yeah, we um, we kind of had a little sound. We 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 had our little own sound, but uh. At the time, we had a female lead singer, so Gene like, "Nah, man, I want to put, I want to put this guy with y'all." Like 1989, and he introduced us to a, a guy, drum tech, which was Dizo. and we heard him sing, man, and we were like, "Wow!" We were like, "Yeah," you <laughs> like, we said, so you like, we were supposed to start, we were supposed to start recording in New York. So uh, around about that time, we did a little tour with today, we got back home for Christmas, and you know. You know, everybody went back home for the for the holidays, and uh, Gene called us and said, "Man, I'm moving the company to uh, to Georgia." And so, you know, uh, Gene came down to Georgia. We went over to his mom's house. He was from Columbus. Met him over there. He let us hear some new stuff. He thought, "I don't," you know, when we go back to Atlanta, we are gonna start recording. And we asked him, "Was uh, you know, Guy go be there?" He's like, "Yeah, I got three houses already for Aaron, you know, Damien and, and Teddy." You know, we we came to Atlanta. He showed us the houses, big houses out there in uh, Johns Creek. And man, we were like, "Wow!" We were like, "This really it." So, you know, we were supposed to start recording. Dizzo uh, came down. We actually did start recording, but we were asking Gene like, "When is the Guy coming down?" You know, "Are they gonna feature on our album?" And Gene was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, they coming down." But come to find out, you know, the that's when the split up that happened.
0: Mm, And this is right around, right after the Future album, correct?
1: Mm, No, no, this is before the Future. This is right after that
0: guy first album. Mm, So 87? uh,
1: You know, uh, I think uh, Future came out. uh, Future
0: came out in 90, I think, I want to say. Yeah, 90. Yeah, so we we recorded our album before
1: uh, he did the second uh, guy album, which was the Future. So uh, Basic Black came out then, then, you know, Teddy finally got out, away from Gene, got out, got out of the contract, then he did the Future album. So, but before that, uh, Teddy was calling us and telling us, you know, don't sign the Gene, come to, you know, come to New York, man. You know, we got something for y'all, you know. But, you know, we stayed, we, I guess we, we, the reason why we stay because it was close to home.
0: Mm. And you guys been from Columbus, and then all the early Atlanta stuff breaking because you know Bobby was already in Atlanta doing uh, don't be cruel, you know, Boss Town Studios, which later became Stankonia all of the early yeah. L.A. and Babyface stuff with and then Dallas, Joyce Fenderella Irby put them on, did a two cuts off of Troop's Attitude album, and then Jermaine Dupree was working on Silk Times Lover, and then later after that, Criss Cross and So So Death. So what was that yeah. like for you at the same time you're recording Basic Black, saying everything that's coming out of Atlanta with LaFace, So So Death, and Dallas? Yeah, actually, we was... Uh... I think we was before everything except
1: Bobby Brown and the LaFay sound and, and Times left. I think we beat out uh, uh, we beat out the crisscross. Cross. So, so so from that, Jermaine, you know, and a lot of people knew who we were. We didn't we didn't realize it, but you know, they see us out, they're like, oh man, Basic Black, and, and, and you know, and to this day, if Andre th- three thousand see me out, <laughs> he say, he'll say, what's up, Basic Black. They're the C town, you know. You know, cause he got Columbus tied too. So, and uh, but we we couldn't believe it, man. Like uh, even Bobby Brown used to call us Basic Black, and and you know we just couldn't believe it. So, but a lot of stuff came out after we did, and even the social death movement. Jermaine even said, "What's up, Basic Black?" He would call us Basic Black. He didn't, never call us by our name, and you know a lot. But Dallas knew us by name, cause you know he came from Columbus with us. So I mean it was it, it was unbelievable. we couldn't believe it, man. and like well like we kind of put that first sound, that Atlanta sound on Bobby and um and Babyface, so picking up a little of that southern sound and mixing it with uh with new Jack you know that's I think that's how we came up with that basic black flavor.
0: yeah, man, that album, I mean. New Jack Swing Lovers is still loved and revered to this day. She's Mine, nothing but a party, special kind of fool. I could just go on down the line of all the cuts off of that album. So what song on the album was the hardest to record?
1: The hardest to record was probably uh, the first one, which was She's Mine, because we was we was new in a professional studio at the time. So I think uh, the nerves got to us more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was probably the first one. We recorded that in, uh, I forgot the name of it, but it was on Spring Street and it was uh, Isaac Hayes' uh, old studio. And uh, we recorded that first. And uh, that was the hardest one. First time in a big studio with $6,000 microphones and, and a million dollar board. So uh, I said that that first song was the hardest one.
0: Mm. Now, After
1: that, everything fit in place.
0: Yeah, now in the remix to she's mine, you guys had CL Smooth from Pete Rock and CL Smooth. Now, how did he mm-hmm. hop on the remix? Uh
1: they sent it to Eddie F. because uh, we was on Motown, Eddie F did a lot of stuff for you know MCA Motown. M- Motown was being distributed by MCA at the time. So with uh Eddie F, MCA ties, and you know the uh the uh labor uh And all of the labor said, let's let Eddie F. touch it. He was hot at the time. And then he remixed it, then threw uh, Pete Rock and CF Smooth on it.
0: Mm, And this was right around the time when Gerald Busby was over at Motown, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, because today was signed to Motown, the the good girls, the boys. The boys, Malara. You still
1: had Stevie Wonder there, uh, Temptations. Uh we, yeah, uh Gerald Albright, man, it was it was a, it was a big lineup.
0: That mm, de- definitely that now Diesel, vocally cold. I mean, special yeah. kind of fool. I mean, one of the most beautiful ballads I've heard. I mean, the vocals, the production. How did that song come about?
1: Uh Xander Man. Zand- it was actually one of Zan the Man songs. Uh, it was supposed to go on Zan album and Gene was telling us about it. So we heard it, we didn't like it. We didn't actually, we didn't like it because it didn't have a swing sound to it. You know, we we wanted everything to swing. So Gene was like, man, y'all fool, man. This, this. <laughs> we put this on the album. So you got, you know, Diesel got it now. Even after Diesel sung it, we still didn't like it. But then, you know, we go out on the road and everybody was like, special kind of food. dude. Special kind of food. So. We had to come back home and learn a Special kind of Food. Oh, man. So it, it, it was crazy.
0: Yeah, so for those of you that don't know, that's too young to remember The Quiet Storm. This would be when radio stations would play slow jams so from maybe 8 to midnight or 9 to 11, yeah. whatever what have you, and then you would play certain songs, and I'm sure a Special kind of Food was one of those request favorites during the Quiet Storm period.
1: Yeah, we, we didn't know that till we actually got to Texas and, and- – uh, in Texas, that was their favorite basic Black song. It was a uh, special kind of food, then nothing but a party. So we had, yeah, once we found that out, we had to come back home and learn "Uh special kind of food.
0: Mm, so, how was it influenced on you as a producer and as a songwriter being around Teddy and everybody else in the camp, seeing how they work, how they move, and saying, hey, let me try my hand at producing and writing and really hone my craft?
1: Yeah, I was uh I was already writing uh in Columbus. I had, you know, I, I I already knew I had a writing skill, and uh, but then I started producing in Columbus too. So I picked up a beat machine, and and that uh, you know it felt comfortable. So once I got around uh, a few professionals and see how everything was done and and learn the equipment, and then you know a lot of stuff just fell in place, mm. and you know uh. I mean, being around them, I'm I'm, I'm kind of like a sponge. Whatever I see, I can I I could pick up.
0: Mm, so so was
1: it's a, not hard for me to learn that.
0: Yeah. So was a lot of it trial and error where you okay, this doesn't work. Let me try it this way. I got something going and just learning on the fly.
1: Yeah. I, um. It was kind of like learning on the fly when I first started on the Akai MPC, I did a I did a hot beat man and uh, you know. Um, put everything in place and uh, turned the drum machine off and didn't didn't realize you had to save it on floppy disk at the time. So when I turned it back on, everything was gone. I was like, wow. So that, you know, I learned that from trial and error. So, you know, um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was like trial and error.
0: Mm, yeah, because back in the days before technology became prevalent, you didn't have a lot of sample time if you were going to sample a record. So what a lot of producers would do, they would speed up the record in order to trick the machine into giving them more sample time. And you work with what oh, yeah. you got.
1: Yeah, then slow it down. And, and what, that did, what, what that did was it, it kind of messed up the quality. And it went from like kind of like from 16-bit to 8-bit. And everybody started liking that 8-bit sound. So uh, a lot of the sampler uh, back then did that. So yeah, you're right about that. Uh, speed it up, get the sample in there in in about ten seconds time, then slow it down to double it, make it twenty seconds, and uh, it it, it kind of dirted the quality of it. But everybody liked that dirtiest sound back in the day. Yeah, so d- Kaye and SB twelve uh twelve hundred did that.
0: Yeah, that's what made hip-hop and R&B during that period so raw. It was do-it-yourself, because a lot of the early Teddy work, like with Bobby Brown and Guy, was done in his apartment at St. Nick's, and they were using, yeah. I believe, the shower as a vocal, boost, yeah. And vocal then... booth. Yeah, vocal yeah. Yeah, so it's just nuts how you do-it-yourself and that muddy, quality, grainy sound captured the world.
1: Yeah. The, it's that that analog sound.
0: Everybody
1: mm-hmm. and, and a lot of stuff is going back to that dirty sound
0: right now. It, it's is coming back. Yeah, what's old is new again. Now, did any of the solar catalog have any influence on basic black? Uh, what do you mean
1: by solar? Who uh, who signed solar that
0: solar? Up? It was Dynasty, the Whispers. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Come on,
1: man. Leon Silvers. I grew up, I almost grew up on uh, that Charlemagne sound. man. I, I, when you said solo, I kind of thought you were talking about that. But yeah, man, Leon Silver is one of my uh, favorite, all-time favorite producers and writers, man. Like, I I, I kind of grew up on that sound right there. So yeah, that that played a lot of influence on on my whole music career. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, actually got a chance to work with Leon once uh, he came to Virginia Beach. Yeah, that's one of my favorite... Uh, Writers a producer, man. He's, he's underrated. Yeah, a lot Le- of people don't Leon know. Leon
0: Silvers, him. a bad man, look up his production credits. Oh,
1: yeah. 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 yeah man. Uh, he had a group called Dynasty, and
0: if another group.
1: Uh he did. You know, you know he did a lot of the whisper stuff too. So that whole mm-hmm. sound, man. It was like back in the, if before Teddy, if Leon put if Leon touched the song, you knew it was him. because like he had that sound too.
0: Mm -hmm. every producer had their calling card. Like if you listen to a Jimmy and Terry record, you knew they had certain that would let you know that that was a Jimmy and Terry record or Teddy. That's a Teddy record. Or like you say, Leon Silvers, it's a Leon Silvers record. Mm -hmm. So each producer stood out in their own way by using different sounds or different techniques to say, hey, this is Mm -hmm. my work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're right about that.
0: Mm-hmm. So after the debut album, what happens next? Touring, and then how did you end up going down to Future Studios, Virginia Beach, in the formation of 911?
1: Okay, after the first album, uh, you know, we did a little touring, came back home, you know, rested a little bit, and, you know, by the month, and then Gene, you know, said, yo, it's time, Motown wanted us to start on the second album. And we were like, well, we ain't getting no money from the first one. <laughs> so anybody that questioned me, you know, he had a solution for us. So I said, "We well, you know, what about the first time? We didn't get no royalties. he like, okay, well, Motown don't want you. He just want the other three. I like, okay, cool. Go. I like, go ahead. So I walked out the office and he followed me outside, you know, come on, man. You know, we need to do this. And you know, you know, we uh do you know, need to record the album from uh, from Motown. So, you know, but we went back in the office and had to meeting. but, you know, eventually, the you know, it was like majority, of all of us said, man, we, you know, we we can't do it, man. We was, we said amongst each other, you know, Gene got whipped that we want not go do the album. He started sending people around to spy on us and stuff. So, you know, after that we just you know, we just didn't do it. And, uh, you know, we was around, we was still in Atlanta Teddy, you know, I think Teddy reached out to him. He asked me to come to Virginia Beach. Uh, he flew me down there. They was, he was working on the Blackstreet first album. And, and I heard it. And, you know, he asked me that I want to join the camp. I'm like, sure. He like, all right, cool. He said, uh, do you need to go back to Atlanta to get some clothes or anything? And, you know, I could put you up in an apartment now. I'm like, yeah, I said, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm like, just put me up right now. I'm good. i go back home later. You know? And so we start working on production and, um, after the Black Street album, you know, I, uh, I told him I want to put together me another group. He said, cool. So that's when I uh, uh, started working on me another group. And actually, uh, my conception uh, came up with the 911 name. It was me and Demetrius Ship. Uh, Demetrius Ship is the, the father of the guy that played two, in the Tupac movie. And so it was me and him, and we was looking for a third member. We could never get the third member. And uh, so when Teddy and uh, Mike Mike Conception were managing Teddy, when they split, uh, Demetrius moved back to California with Mike. So I was there by myself with, you know, still trying to do the group. So that's when I told Diesel to come down. And uh, me and Diesel started on it. Then we got Rob, you know. And uh, we started working on it then.
0: Right. And for those of you that don't know, Rob, foreplay, I mean, if you are a deep 90s R&B lover, you know his stuff. Feel me? I mean, vocally, bad brother. And then Demetrius Shipp, oh, yeah. I did not know, was in Virginia Beach before. He went back to Cali to start doing a lot of the in-house production work over at Death Row. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Bad. That's another bad boy. Yep. So, uh, yeah, he, uh, he worked on the Michael Jackson stuff with Teddy. So he was actually down there probably, I'd say, about uh, six months to a year before I got down there.
0: Wow. And also, uh, did you have a lot of interactions with Mr. Bernard Bell? Oh, yeah. Bernard
1: Bell brought the uh, Riff Project through. He's uh, another one of my mentors. I, I look up to him. Uh, Bad brother. Uh, bass player, keyboard player, you know, vocalist. A lot of people don't know he can sing, but Bernard got a high range. So yeah, he brought he brought the riff project through and told uh, me and Teddy he wanted to touch up on it. Uh, uh, yeah, work with Bernard.
0: Okay, and yes, people, Bernard Bell well-respected songwriter, producer, and also brother of Regina Bell. I don't know if yeah. you know this or not, if you can confirm or deny, but wasn't he supposed to be originally in Today?
1: Yeah, I think so, but I think it was The Gents. Uh, it wasn't Today. Yeah, I think they were The Gents I think originally. it was The Gents. I think it was called The Gents then, but I think so. I, I can't be 100%, but I think so. I, I talked to Big Bub last night, but... Uh, but actually Chief uh gave me a little history on that. But I, I think it was Benoit uh that was in the original the, the gent.
0: Okay. All right. And then also within that same camp, Miss Tammy Lucas. If you listen mm-hmm. to a lot of the Teddy Productions back in vocals, is it good too? Mm-hmm. And also Mary Brown. Yeah. Now we, we work with uh Tammy Lucas,
1: but we didn't get a chance to work with Mary. We was getting getting around to it, so the first one we worked with in New York was actually Tammy Lucas. Gene said, "Man, I'm, I'm gonna put y'all with this writer. You know, y'all do tracks, y'all bring them to me, and uh, me and Spec did a track. Took it to uh, Gene. He gave it to Tammy, and uh, they Tammy came out with a song for uh, Starpoint, and it was me and Spec melody actually that Teddy redid for the for The Star Point song, but we didn't get credit.
0: Okay. Do you remember the name of the Star Point record? Uh I think Teddy did two two songs on that
1: album. The mid uh, the uh, up tempo was was the melody that me and Speck did, and, and Tammy and Lucas pinned it. Some I can't remember the name of it, but um, I don't remember the name of it. I forgot what they called okay. it. All
0: right, pin game. Cole and I also mentioned you're down in Virginia Beach. Did you have any inklings that when Pharrell and the crew came around, that the Neptunes were going to be something special and something serious in the music business?
1: Yeah, uh, I thought I always knew there's going to be be big. I just thought there was going to be big as a as a group. And there was there was he was in a group called the Neptunes. There was him, Chad, Michael Michael E. was in the group, and they had another. Uh, like a four-member group, so I just thought they sound the sound they was doing it. It, it they was doing like a sound that I think like that. You remember Digable Planet? He lost
0: all native tongues. That whole crew.
1: They they well, it was I think it was a group called Diggable Planets. Uh, Digital Planet, Diggable Planet, Diggable Planet they yeah. actually bit, uh, yeah, they actually bit the Neptune. Neptune came out with that sound first, man. So then when Diggable Planet came out, it was like they heard Pharrell them Demo and uh, it was crazy. So they, they had that kind of sound. So, I mean, I always thought they were going to be, be, be big, but I just thought, I didn't know Pharrell and Chad was going to just jump out and be as big as they are now. I just knew, I knew the Neptunes group was going to be like a household name.
0: Right, but it's crazy to think how at this time the Tidewater area was just exploding with talent. You have the Neptunes over at Future with Teddy and then you had Missy and Timbaland over with Devontae. They go up upstate to New York to start honing their craft with the bassmen and of course Genuine was up in that camp, play a Rest in Peace that it Major, Tweet, Sugar, and then of course Sister, which was originally the gr- the female group that Missy was in before. Missy started. was in, yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And you, uh, think Salt and Pepper had moved in, uh, in town at the time? Yeah, Omar F. That sung on the Joint Pain. Um. Uh, with Rod Bates, he moved there. Man, it was, it, was, it was a lot of people moving to Virginia Beach at the time. Yeah, I and, I, can, uh, I can
0: imagine that. I can imagine why you're close to the border, <laughs> and it also. Put Virginia Beach on the national map when the Rump Shaker video was shot in Virginia Beach.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Virginia Beach was the uh, you know the spot at the time uh, early early to mid nineties. It, it was Virginia Beach, so everybody was getting ready to move there, man. And uh, I guess like late nineties it start dying
0: down, and then you know. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just die down after that. Yeah, because, you know, being in the South, you can get land and houses for cheap. So a lot of people up North yeah. moving down South and being yeah. from... Close to the Virginia border in rural North Carolina, we're only like maybe a little over two hour drive from Virginia Beach. So once Neptune's Timberland and the Teddy stuff out of Future Studios started popping, we're like, ah oh man, this stuff is like really hot. But I know 911, you guys put out a record called Cutie. You guys were supposed to do mm-hmm. an album, but that never materialized, correct?
1: We we finished the album. And uh what happened? That was after Black Street, the first Black Street broke up. Teddy was getting ready to do the guy three album. And we Teddy signed 911 to uh Lil Man Records, which was going through Interscope. So Teddy said, All right, y'all stay over here in my studio and record y'all album. And me and Guy are going to Trinidad. And they went to some big studio in Trinidad record their album. So Teddy went over, started recording with Guy. And I think like a month later, he came back home on the break to see the family and we we had 10 songs done so he could not believe it i think guy was just like three or four songs in so after we did the 10 songs he like okay interscope wants y'all to do two more he go back to trinidad come back on another break and we got two songs two more songs finished and that and they, they like it wasn't no just threw together song they were you know people were going crazy
0: over them. right
1: and uh you know, but we we kind of figured he kept just making the excuses. You know, you're like, all right, well, uh, Jim Ivey want another up tempo, and we went and did another up tempo, and 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 you know, come to find out, we had a conversation. I had a conversation with him. He was like, man, he like, if I put y'all out, then y'all sound, you know, y'all might be competition for Guy. I said, yeah, but we we on your label. I said, so how's that gonna hurt you? I said that's gonna help you if we are competition for a guy. He said, you know, like Diesel, you know, strong vocally, you know, that that's gonna be competition for a guy. I said, but guy signed, uh you know, MCA, uh underscore whoever they signed you at the time. I said we signed the little man records. I said so that's gonna help you, but I he he could never could, uh you know, figure that out, and you know he never could come to grips with it, so he just put uh you know, put us on the shelf.
0: Oh man, yeah, because that cutie record, dope sound, and all of us New Jack Swing, Hip Hop, Soul lovers were like, "Man, this record is fire!" And we were just like, "Man, where's the rest?" <laughs> we had whole album, and actually,
1: Cutie was number one. Uh, Teddy wasn't gonna sign us at the time. You know, we did the nine one one. You know, he was playing us off. You know, kept you know, okay, I'm gonna do it. I do it. I I, I listen to it. And we actually sent the song overseas. And you know, and they was playing it in London and just so happened, Blackstreet had a show in London. And then when they, they threw it on in the club, everybody was going crazy to it. And Teddy was like, he asked the DJ, he like, yo, who is this? And the guy said, it's 911. And Teddy was like, wow. So when he came home from London, he was like, okay, I want to sign y'all. Wow, so, yeah. crazy. So If it wasn't for London, uh, London put us on the map actually. Uh, go get my charger, really. At the bedroom, yeah. Um, London kind of put us on the map, and uh, if it weren't for Teddy hearing that song in London, he wouldn't, have, he probably wouldn't have touched us.
0: Wow. Now you mentioned London and how, as we all know, throughout the history of music, they have a strong love and appreciation for what we do over here in the U.S. and they add their own cultural spin to it. So, what was it like when you heard that? Man, this song is reacting in London, and then hearing all of the other British-based and Adding their UK spin to US R&B or what they would call swing beat over in the UK.
1: But uh, well, I mean, we didn't go. We didn't. When we went to London, we went to London as base black. So when we sent the song over there, uh, the 911 song on there, we hadn't we hadn't been back to London since then. So we only heard uh, after the 911 song, we got a few. Hit for people, you know, for us to do a remix on their stuff. So we did that. But, and then we got, we got, we got Will for like how they was, uh, the people overseas want the, your songs, you know, put the little, they kind of put a little house band on it, With was a nice little club feel. I mean, we can we like, we like the sound of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Now I want to back up a little bit now. These five young boys out of Atlanta, Georgia, I believe they were discovered or managed by Kevin Wells, and they were brought up in the music. Once end, well. a, another bad creation. Oh, ABC. ABC, yeah, because Aisha, crossover, smash, and once again, another early Dallas Austin production. And he did Coolie Harmony for Boys to Men. Now, a lot of people were looking at ABC like, man, these guys are sucking serious. You know, and it was kind of like the start of what Michael Bivens had with Biv 10, with ABC, Boys to Men, and of course, BBD. Hmm. Mm, so, yeah. You, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Um. So did you have like any early rumblings of like, man, I got this group out of Atlanta. They're going to be the young new Edition, And then I have these four guys out of Philadelphia. They're going to be the new school version of the temps and a lot of those crossover acts that, Motown really thrived on back during
1: their golden era. Uh, I um not really with ABC, but I had uh I had a friend friend I that met us uh, we were basically Black and I went our video shoot. We met a a police officer named Marlon. Marlon actually had one twelve at the time before they got signed. So Marlon was like, man, I want you to work with uh my group I got, and, and I went and heard them. Man, they was amazing. So. I actually did 112 first demo. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, and then, you know, when I went to Virginia Beach, I was telling, hold on one second, let me, let me pull up my phone up. I, I uh, Virginia Beach, when I, when I went to Virginia Beach, I was telling Teddy about the, uh, this group 112 he need to hear. And uh, he like, yeah, he said, I'll check them out when we go to Atlanta, Atlanta. So we came down to Atlanta for like, I think that was the last Jack the Rap Fest. And uh 112 song for Teddy, you know, he got distracted by other things that was pulling him to the side. And <laughs> like, wow. Yeah, I said, did you listen to the group? He's like, Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I like them, I like him. You know, a few months later, we we back at Virginia Beach and he see 112 on the on TV signed the bad boy. I said, That's that group that I, I let you hear down at Jack the Rapper, and his mouth just dropped.
0: Man, so he could have I mean, had one twelve too. I did not know that. That's that's crazy that Teddy had a chance to sign One Twelve, but it ended up going over to Diddy the and Bad Boy. Boy yes. Now mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this or not about One Twelve, but um, Tim and Bob they had some records that they wanted to give the boys to men for the two album, but Gerald Busby told them I want to get more established producers on this album, knowing that Coolio, Harmony, entered the Road crossed them over to the pop. So a lot of those mm. records end up going to 112 for the debut album. Like, Can I Touch You, Now That We're Done. All those were the reasons supposed to go to Boyz II Men. Oh, I didn't know that. I
1: didn't know that. And I, and I, and
0: I know uh, Tim and Bob, too, but I didn't know that. Ah, man, mm-hmm. Tim and Bob, another set of songwriters, producers that don't get enough credit, you know. And um, I spoke with Brandon Akira from Mr a couple years ago, and he said that they had a second album ready to go, Tim and Bob at the helm, but I guess it was right around the time when East-West Records folded, and the second album got shelved by Mr.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah, I could believe that. But yeah, I actually uh, went out to Tim and Bob uh, Mansion they had out in Roswell. (laughs) and They had a hot studio out there back in the 90s. it had some hits coming out of there. So yeah, I I could believe
0: that. Mm. So what makes you think Made the make still the movement out of Atlanta so special, like we mentioned early, like Raheem the Dream, Dream Kilo Ali, Hitman Sammy Sam, DJ Tass, then later on, Organized Noise, Dungeon Family, TI, Two Chains. What makes that whole Atlanta movement and sound so special? Where everybody's like, Man, I gotta come down to Atlanta to get some of that. Um uh,
1: I, I think it was that uh that dungeon family man that uh when the dungeon family came out cause they mixed that they mixed pop they mix you heard pop on the song and this all on one song you heard r b you heard that foot stomping old southern music and you heard you know the, the hip hop on top of so you you had four genres of music on one <laughs> track and and, and it is test it tested a lot of people so i think it was more that uh that Dungeon Family flavor, man, that brought a lot of the, uh, that actually brought a lot of that talent, a lot more talent to Atlanta. Cause You got to remember, you already had Babyface and Cameo in the 80s here. Then in the early 90s, you had Bobby Brown and, you know, We Came Here and a lot of more came here. But actually, after that Dungeon Family hit, you know, good you know, Outkast, all them, Sleepy Brown. And then you had, OK, you had people from the East Coast and, you know, up top New York coming to Atlanta thinking this the, this the place to be if I want to get my music heard.
0: Right. And it definitely still is the epicenter of what we know now with rap and r and and then Ludacris. He was actually a radio personality in Atlanta. Yeah. Before. Chris Love, Love. Yep. And Poon Daddy, I believe, was hot in 97.9, I believe. Yeah, I think they started
1: on one hundred three. Um, <laughs> I was, I was, I think one hundred three. Right, Chris Love, Love is former cool, dad. I think it was one hundred three in the afternoon, like later on in the day.
0: Right, cause. Mellon, I, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, cause I can remember that. Uh, Ludacris had an indie album called Incognito, and it was making yeah. its way around the southeast. You could go to any farmer's market or what mom and pop record store, get that, and then when he got signed to Def Jam South, it pretty much was a remastered version of Incognito with a few new songs added, and that's why the album was named Back for the First Time.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't know about that, but I know he was on uh I first heard Luda on the remix of uh I think it was uh who that uh uh, uh uh artist uh Timlin had. It was on a remix of one of those songs. Maganu, uh, I think it was on one of those songs. That's when I first heard Luda. i was like, okay. I said, he got he got some skills. Now, that's when I first heard
0: him. Okay, yeah. I mean, like I said, the Atlanta movement still going strong to this day. You can look up everybody that's. Been through ATL, then had that ATL flavor, that sauce. You know, Little John, for those of you that don't know, Little John got his start working with Jermaine Dupri at So So Death. I believe it was AR, because I didn't know this until he said it that um, he was working at So So Death when they put out those So So Death based All Star compilation tapes.
1: Mm-hmm. Now,
0: I was mad when I lost my So So Death based All Star collection tape, but that's another story for another day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. uh yeah. Lil Jon got a start from uh, So So Def.
0: Mm. And So So Def, now when we talk about what Jermaine did, as we all know, we got his start dancing at the Fresh Fest because his dad, Michael Maldon, put together the Fresh Fest and then Sip Times Lover, then Criss Cross and later Escape and everything mm. else that came, came out of there. I mean, Atlanta just had the posts of everybody and you guys being kind of at the forefront of it when it was in its infancy.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, everybody kind of looked at us as, uh, once that started rolling, they were looking at us as, Oh gee, you know, we, we respect y'all, but did, <laughs> you know, this the new sound. Now. And, that, and don't quote me on this, but I think, uh, I think, um, I think Polo the Don got his start through a uh, So So Def too, but don't quote me. But I think that's uh, That's when I first saw Polo the Dunn through a uh, So So Def project.
0: Right, and so, right, and what is it that you think makes the New Jack Swing sound so special to where you have people still trying to emulate the sound? And of course, everything going on in the Far East with K-pop, BTS, it pretty much is an homage to New Jack Swing. Yeah, I, I just think uh, Teddy created a sound that
1: uh, you know it, it, every every so often is gonna come back. Just like the old Motown sound, it came back, and even though like a lot of R and B people don't don't hear it, uh, a lot of the old Motown sound is actually done by a lot of pop artists, uh, Megan Trainer and you know a lot of artists on the pop side, and so that that's actually made its way back. And that New Jack Swing, you know, Bruno Mars hit it real good. He, he did a real good job of uh, recreating one of those songs. Uh, song I still listen to on my on my workout playlist. So um, I just think it, that New Jack Slave is going to come back probably
0: every every 15 to 20 years. Right, because when you listen to Jane Child Don't Want to Fall in Love remix, I mean it just hits. Even, um, there's a video game that came out in 94 called King of Fighters 94 and pretty mm. much the character select screen pretty much just repeated the drum loop from the don't want to fall in love remix. And even yes, boy George from culture club had to come see Teddy to get that new Jet swing flavor. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh,
1: boy George, uh, think simply Red came through Virginia beach. Uh, Man, was so many people came to uh one that uh you remember Jane Ingram came to New York mm-hmm. to get it. The Jack mm-hmm. Five came in New York to get it. Uh man, uh even the whining. Yeah, gospel people wanted the uh the new death swing.
0: Yeah, because um, I yeah, because I told Mike E that because of the whining's return album, that got me starting to listen at five, six years old to gospel because I was like, man, this sounds almost like what I hear with Guy. And you just taking gospel and adding it to it. And it was just a whole nother level. Now, the one person that I felt would have been perfect for Teddy to work with New Jack Swing-wise, but it never materialized, George Michael. That would have been nuts. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, that would have came out fire too. Uh, it was, it was a few more people. I don't know if Teddy got a chance to work with uh the new the new version of the Temptations, but I I would have loved to see how that would have came out to George Michael Temptations. Uh, you know, I thought that was going to materialize, but it did.
0: Yeah, that would have been nuts. And then another thing that puzzles me as a music lover with the Jacksons doing the twenty three hundred Jackson Street album, she should have been released as a single and I feel personally that was my favorite
1: song on the album.
0: Yeah. And I feel personally that record got the ball rolling in Michael's head like, hmm, let me go ahead and get with Teddy. And that started to work for yeah. Dangerous.
1: Yeah. he uh uh yes T I but I think uh twenty three hundred Jackson Street uh solidified it because he actually came down he flew down the sing on that one I think she Uh, Michael Jackson didn't actually sing on She, but he he took 2300 Jackson Street. But yeah, She got the ball rolling, but uh, I think 2300 Jackson Street kind of solidified it.
0: Right. And then with the Dangerous album, for me, that is my one of my favorite Michael Jackson albums and how that album was able to have Michael go from his work with Quincy and bring him to a younger demographic without really compromising i mean it was a perfect marriage
1: oh yeah yeah and, and uh another trendset album uh that that I, that might be neck and neck with my uh either off the wall uh or the thriller album I, i'm gonna put <laughs> i uh i grew up with the uh the off the wall the thriller album so i'm, I'm gonna run those two neck and neck with the danger but uh dangerous album uh most definitely was a trend that I have, you know. Mm-hmm. Up. So yeah,
0: right. So was there one artist that you felt had everything that they needed to be huge, but for some reason or another, never panned out and should have had more success than than they um should have? Uh, uh, there's quite
1: a few of them out there. Uh, I I can't put my finger on just one of them. Man, right. uh, I, I know uh, I know if Zan would have came out, he, he would have been real big. I mean, he had that smooth sound. Zan had a soul for sound, man, and, and he he also can set fire to a new jack swing track too. So um yeah, I just can't put my, my finger on just one order that should have been bigger than what they what they actually was at the time.
0: Right. And um, Big Bub, man, his solo albums, coming at your album, I tell people this all the time. Big Bub vocally, take Luther Vandross and New Jack Swing, Hip Hop Soul, mesh it together. That's Big Bub.
1: Yeah. And Big Big Bub been singing since he was probably 15, professionally, probably about 15, 16, because he did a lot of backgrounds for, uh, for Gene back in the day on My Prerogative and you know, the uh, the uh, my prerogative did a lot of stuff on the, the Jackson background, and so Big Bub been in, you know, he's been in been in, uh, in that mix for a little while, too,
0: right? For A good I, little while, yeah, because I think he did the backing vocals for Do the Right Thing for Redhead Kingpin, yeah. Oh, no, that's him, that's Big Bub. Mm, I thought so, and also for those of you that don't know, Do the Right Thing by Redhead Kingpin was originally supposed to have been the big song in the Spike Lee movie, Do the Right Thing, but it ended up getting beat out by Fight the Power, but Do the mm-hmm. Right Thing later got put on the People Under the Stairs movie soundtrack that Wes Craven did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was,
1: uh, yeah, uh Redhead Kingpin, that Do the Right Thing was supposed to be the title track for that, uh, for that movie.
0: Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know who sings the back and vocals for Nice and Slow for Redhead Kingpin. I always thought it was Trey Lorenz, but I don't know if it was him or not.
1: I, I don't remember that one right there.
0: Yeah, I think it was that off the album uh, with no name, but Redhead Kingpin, another one who was underrated.
1: Yeah, David Good. Yeah, uh, me and him were supposed to work together too. Man, I, I, I was making plans in New York. Everybody knew me, and you know, they're like, okay, the, the guy from the south, red hand, like, yeah, 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 I heard about him. I want to work with him. And Bub actually introduced me to him, and we were supposed to work together. And so, but that's when the split up, right? Like, you know, right about about time the split up happened. Mm. So the whole big VR production split up.
0: Oh man, that, that would have been dope yourself, red oh, Kingpin, yeah. fire, 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 fire. Now, tell us about any current projects that you got going on. Any new songs? I'm uh, working
1: on, uh, got a male group called Blackmail, uh, Mixing up the New Jack Swing, and a little bit of the old r sound. We might dabble in something new, but it ain't gonna be too new. But uh, we're doing a, mostly a New Jack Swing and some stuff.
0: All right. Yeah, we're definitely looking forward to it when that yeah. drops. And as far as for songwriting goes, What is your take on the current state of songwriting? Because some people tend to write either with the bridge first in mind, the hook, or your verses, and you have some where it's like, throw the melody out the window and we're just gonna have a song with no melody. So do you think the art of songwriting has been remixed with, given the way technology has become so convenient and everybody's all about adding their own twist and spin?
1: Yeah, for me, I feel a song come easy if I. The hook is the hardest part for me. So if I can get a good hook, uh, then the verses fall in place, and and the verses come pretty easy to me. But but the hook is more what uh, I'm more picky with because the hook got to be tight for me, and if it's not a good hook,
0: I'm, I probably won't finish the song. Yeah, you. So yeah. you know. I, Mm-hmm. You got to have that earworm. The hook is essential because if you, you can have a good song in the world, but if your hook is not hitting, your song oh, yeah. is not going to pop. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So before we wrap, do you have any shout outs you want to give and also plug your social media?
1: Uh, I, don't, I don't even know. I don't even know my social media, man. <laughs> like, we just got 23. I mean, that I think that's my IGM of Facebook page and Twitter. I think all of Mucho Scott 23. Uh, shout out to Blackmail, you know, uh, Dre Riley, Ty Styles, Mark Advance, you know, get ready, we getting ready. Shoot y'all a little new new jack swing flavor. You know, and we got some, we got some features on the album, real, real familiar features that you, you know, you're gonna be familiar with.
0: All right. And you can catch this interview available wherever you stream your podcast, Anchor, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Verbal, on YouTube in video format, youtube.com slash beyondthealbumcover. Be sure to follow the Facebook page, facebook.com slash beyondthealbumcover to stay updated with the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Mucho from Basic Black, nine one one producer, songwriter extraordinaire, long live New Jack Swing, Mucho. Thank you for coming on to the podcast, sir.
1: Oh, uh, my brother, my my pleasure, man, always. Yes, sir.